anyway, well, the sun's coming out. We are glad that you are here this morning. And um, last Sunday, we took a different direction. We are continuing in our sermon series this morning. Before I get started, I want to make a plug again for our event. You may last Sunday, you may have already seen it on our website or our on our Facebook page that on Saturday, November the 5th, and that's coming up here in a couple weeks at 3 p.m. here at Pleasant View Baptist Church, we are having a documentary presentation at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, roughly about 90 minutes of presentation from the American Family Association and American Family Studios. It's called The God Who Speaks. Um, no better time to understand the Bible, the, the history of the Bible. Can the Bible be trusted? Discovering the uniqueness and the authoritative words behind God's word. This no better time because the Bible is being has been trashed for so long. The Bible cannot cannot ever be hidden. It cannot be destroyed. God's word is established forever in heaven. The Bible the Bible teaches. We want you to be part of that on Saturday, November fifth. Go to our Facebook page or our website and look for more information about that and be much in prayer for that this morning. A man tells a story that every year he says that his entire family comes once a year for the great big family reunion. They travel from all different parts of the country and they come together once a year for this big reunion. And he tells a story on one particular Saturday of the reunion that uh, the entire family went to the local museum and then afterwards they went to the local park where all of the kids could play and the adults could do their thing and catch up on old times, um, what we call chit-chat. He goes in detail. He says his he noticed his six-year-old niece, who he was responsible for at the reunion, was watching, watching her play as he conversed with the other adults. Unbeknownst to him, later, the six-year-old niece comes up to him and a large group of the family and says, I've got it, I've got it, I finally have gotten that family reunion photo we've all been wanting. All the adults scramble and scratch their heads. What in the world are you talking about? There's not been any family reunion picture yet. Then they become confused and even worried. They thought that perhaps somebody out there was taking pictures, unbeknownst to anyone else, of little children. So she began to explain what had, what had happened. Um, it turned out that when they, she had got out of her direct view, she had accidentally got into another family reunion's photo, professional photograph and in, in the distance, um, someone else's family. Um, so she was not part of that family. She got caught into their picture. In closing of his story, he said, quote, I have always imagined somewhere in America there is a set of grandparents and siblings trying to figure out which of their families this random, not actually related six-year-old girl belongs to. So you ever see those family reunion pictures where you try to figure out, well, who's this person or who is that person? You know, family reunions come once a year. They should, hopefully. They're unique. They're unique and they're different as well. You gather together with family you don't remember from years past. Some of them you probably wish you hadn't run into. You know, that's another story in itself. You know, we all have those in our families. Um, great food. Great time. Many of them play games. They come once a year. But then after the reunion, what happens? Everybody packs everything up. And they go home, right? That's what happens at a family reunion. 
when we want to leave, we just go home. There's another reunion that we're going to go to one day. Another reunion. Only this one will not be, when we leave, will not be to our regular homes. Why is that? Because we're not going to want to leave this reunion. What is this place? Well, that is exactly what we are going to talk about today in our discussion as we're continuing our sermon series, Pleasant Views, Favorite Bible Verses. We have this Sunday, and then the conclusion is next Sunday, Moi's favorite Bible verse, mine. Since Donna stole mine, I'm going to give you a, a second runner-up best verse of mine. It's not your fault, Donna. You couldn't help it. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of John. We just cannot seem to get out of John's Gospel. We were in it in our last sermon series, looking at the seven sign miracles. And then my mother's favorite Bible verse and my dad's favorite Bible verse were in the Gospel of John. Today, we are in God's jo John's Gospel, chapter 14, and we're going to look at verses 1, 2, and 3, where we look at a future reunion in the Father's house. Now, guess whose favorite Bible verses these are? Brother Gary's. I bet you never thought we were going to get here. But here we are, and I hope you enjoy this, my version of John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Now, leading up to these verses, Jesus had already been talking to his disciples. This was uh, after the Last Supper, okay? The Last Supper in that upper room on that Thursday evening. Now, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Jesus had already told them three important things that caught the disciples' attention. First of all, he told them that uh, one of them was going to betray him. Then he told them, one of you, during the greatest trial of my life, is going to betray me, deny me, not once, not twice, but three times. And then to cap it all off, he said, this very night that I'm speaking to you all of these things, I'm leaving. I'm going to be gone. Now, what do you think their reaction was? It's this troubled the disciples greatly. It would have you, it would have me as well. So Jesus gives them a command to calm their troubled hearts. Look at verse one. Do not, Jesus said, let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. The, common, the opinion commentator and Fox News night host, Sean Hannity, at the very end of all, I haven't listened to Sean Hannity in several years. But at the very end of his program, he always says, do not let your heart be troubled. Where did he get that from? Not from his own mind. He got it from John 14, verse 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Jesus, though, don't misunderstand this. He never, ever intended for us to not have any troubles in this life. I talked about it a couple weeks ago, okay? Daniel has this on the screen. Jesus promised we could have an untroubled heart even in the troubles of life. We can have that. We can have that right now. I mean, who does not have troubles in, in this life? We all have troubles. Our hearts many times are troubled. We live in a society that's so troubled. We live in a world that is full of trouble because of the sin virus that we are, the curse that we are all under. Jesus was giving a very strict command in this verse. He was basically saying, stop being troubled or set your heart at ease. That's what he was trying to say. Notice what Jesus didn't say. You know, I'm so happy that you're all troubled. I'm so happy that your hearts are so troubled. 
that you're so full of doubt right now. Oh, I'm just so happy. Congratulations. That is not the God we serve. That is not the Savior, Jesus Christ. That is not what he intends for us at all. He takes no delight in any of our doubts, any of our uncertainties, or any of our discomforts. Jesus saw sorrow in the hearts of the disciples at this point. C.S., excuse me, not C.S. Lewis, but Charles Spurgeon said, Jesus at that moment pleaded with them in great love and besought them at that moment to be comforted. Okay, and he does the same for us. Family disputes. Don't let your heart be troubled. Financial perils. Where money's tightening up. Inflation is at a 40-year high. We all know all this. I don't have to keep reminding you. Financial problems, constraints, constrictions. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. A loss of a loved one. Someone you find out who has been diagnosed with a deadly disease. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. That's what he does for us. And every other situation in our life, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. One commentator once said, knowing Jesus was leaving was like a torture, he said to the disciples. It was then he consoled them with simple and glorious speech that all Christendom is a debtor to their agony. Instead of giving into a troubled heart, Jesus told them, first put your trust in God and then to put your trust in Jesus Christ himself. It was a command and instruction to his disciples. Jesus was basically saying, hey guys, listen to this. If you'll put your trust in me, I'll bring peace. I'll bring comfort to your troubled heart. Nothing else, I don't care. I've mentioned it before in invitations. Nothing else in this world, government, any kind of social movement, your own family, your own friends, your bosses, your pastor, evangelists, none of them will bring lasting peace to a troubled heart except through Christ. I didn't have this first, but when I went through and was get, dictating this on the computer, I skipped it. Romans 5.1. What does Romans 5.1 say? It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul broadens on that in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. I think these are my next favorite Bible verses right here. I always bring these up a lot. Paul said, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Why? And the what? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts, your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. I love that verse. Love it. A commentator summed it all up. He said in one sentence, Jesus' solution to perplexity isn't a recipe, it's a relationship with him. What's the reason for a calming, a tr- for calming a troubled heart? Well, he gives the reason in the very next verse, verse number two. He says, in my father's house are many dwelling places. There's other translations too. I'll get to them in just a moment. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. The King James Version uses the word mansions. The NIV uses the term rooms. The New American Standard, the 95 version, the one I use, uses dwelling places. It doesn't matter. They all mean the same thing. If you break them all down, there is one word it means for. It's mentioned here, and it's mentioned also in verse 
23 of this chapter, the only two places in the New Testament, it is the word abode. Abode. Have you heard that word abode? We'll break that down in just a second. What is the abode? I'll give it to you simple. We've all, we've all heard of the different heavens. There are three heavens currently right now. We have the first heaven. The first heaven is what we know as the atmosphere. You look up at, you know, on a cloudy day like this, the clouds and the atmosphere, you know, that's the first heaven. The second heaven is beyond that. It is space. We see the stars, all the planets, the planets, the Milky Way galaxy, whatever other galaxies there are. That's the second heaven. Brother Stephen, there's a third heaven? Yes. Where's it at? I have no clue. But let me tell you something. It is much further than space. It is the third heaven. That's where God sits right now. It is the abode of God. And Christ is seated at his right hand. That is the abode. But guess what? There is a fourth heaven. Not really pertaining to this scripture, but yes, it actually is. There's a fourth heaven. Where's it at right now? It's up there. And Christ, I think, is finished with it. It's all done. And that's what John saw in Revelation. Whenever this present heaven and earth was burned up with fervent heat, intense heat, with fire, whatever it might have been, what did he see coming down out of the third heaven? The new heaven and new earth coming down. That is the fourth heaven, okay? That's the abode of God, the third heaven right now, okay? So if I question you at the end of service, I want you to tell me what the abode is, and I hope you get it right. You may not. Let's see how well attentive you are, how much we remember we talked about in Sunday school this morning, okay? Jesus was speaking in complete confidence about heaven. There wasn't, well, maybe, no, he was speaking in complete confidence about heaven in my father's house. How could Jesus be so confident? Well, hello. He could be so confident because he was already there from the beginning and he came down into human form. God did through Jesus Christ. He can speak because Jesus was already there. He can come back and tell whatever he wanted to tell about heaven. Jesus said not to worry because there was more than enough room for everybody. He said many mansions, many rooms, many dwelling places. There is more than enough room to compensate for everybody who will be in heaven one day. Revelation 21, you ought to read that. It describes what the new heaven and new earth will be like. Basically, it is like a cube, 1,500 miles wide, long, and high. That's just the new Jerusalem. That is just one city, basically equivalent to about three-fourths the land surface of the United States. That's one city. And who knows? That doesn't mean there's not going to be more cities, but that's the, that's the capital of the new heaven, new earth, the new Jerusalem. It is big enough to occupy everybody. I think I heard one preacher say one time, for each occupant, this place is so large, for each occupant of the new heaven, new earth, there will be enough room for each person to own 75 acres of land by themselves, just each person. That's how large that this new heaven and new earth is. And Jesus said there are many dwelling places. There's more than enough room. But he also understood something that the disciples at this time did not understand. You know what it was? Every tribe, every nation, and every language would will partake in some fashion in the, in the new heaven and the new earth. Amen. It's not just for Jews. It's not just for Americans. It's for every tribe, tongue, and nation. And he said that would that is what it was. Okay. Now Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, I don't know about you, 
when you go to welcome somebody, it's done usually out of love, right? Let me give you a couple examples. When we we knew that Grace was coming going to come to this world, what did we do to that our first one bedroom? We prepared it, didn't we? We made sure it had new well, it had new carpet in it. I believe it didn't. Yeah, I think it already had new carpet. We painted the room, decorated it nice, brand new furniture, a little bit of a used chair for a rocking chair, closet ready with all kinds of things. We prepared a place for her, didn't we? Was it done out of obligation? Not really. I mean, we needed to do something, but it was out of love. Here's another example. Last Sunday, Donna prepared for her dad to come for a visit to her mother's house for a family get-together. And I pray that it went, it did go really well. That was phenomenal. Great. Did she do it? Oh, I got to go do this. No. Donna did it out of love. She went to prepare. There was a place hard there, but she prepared vittles, okay? She prepared food for her dad to come visit. But it was done out of love. Jesus was and is, I think it's already done, preparing a place for his people, believers. Why? Because he loves us. He is confident of our arrival one day. Go sit. And please don't get back up. Sit. Thank you. Or I will prepare a place outside for you after church. Okay? All right. Sit down. Sorry about that. This is like the third time on camera that you probably have seen me reprimand one of my children. I enjoy it. It's fun sometimes. So especially up here in front of the camera. Anyway, I'm not, I'm not a mean dad. Anyway. So anyway, here's a story. James Barry was the man who wrote the story, Peter Pan. All right. In one of his books, he, he talked about his mother, Margaret Ogilvy. All right. Margaret Ogilvy and her growing ups in Scotland. His mother endured, he said, a lot in her life the tragic death of one of her children, all right? He wrote that his mother's favorite Bible chapter was John chapter 14, and in particular, these first three verses. She read read them religiously multiple times a day. Every single day, he wrote in his book, to the point where every time she would set her Bible on a top, flat down, it would open up automatically to John chapter 14. She trained that book to open up so many times like that. In her elder years, she, her, her eyesight got bad where she couldn't physically read the scriptures anymore. So what would she do? She would kneel down the table and she would kiss the Bible. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, because of the great promise that it had in it. She loved those verses so much. She said she was banking on a promise that Jesus said will happen one day. He is preparing a place for us because... He can, and he did, and he did it with all confidence that there will be plenty of occupants in heaven one day. Those two words, I go, reflect Jesus' own initiative and his own planning. Think of this. Jesus wasn't taken to the cross, was he? He wasn't literally taken to the cross. He was, in essence, taken to the cross, but he went on his own, didn't he? He could have stopped that just like that, he said. He went on his own. Many have thought that Jesus' death was an unforeseen calamity. Oh, no, no, no. It was a path taken by Jesus' own planning, by his heavenly Father. He said, I go. It was his, by his own will. Now, look at verse number three. If, now, 
the better translation for that is not if, since, or when, since. Since I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus promised he will come again for his disciples, amen. Could he have been referring to his resurrection? Could he have been referring to the promise of the Holy Spirit we talked about a few weeks ago? In one sense, yes, he is talking about those things. But let me tell you something. I think you know this goes much deeper than this. Jesus was talking not just about his resurrection, not by coming by the helper, the, the third part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Jesus was talking about his second coming one day. He couldn't have talked about the rapture because he was talking to Jews here. The rapture is not for Jews. It is for Christians. Okay? So they would have no idea what he was talking about. He was talking about that the greatest event that is still yet to come in human history, his second coming. Now, I don't know about you, I'm looking forward to that day. Maybe you're not liking the idea of coming back on horseback with Jesus to right the wrongs at Armageddon. It's not no horse riding ability I talked about last year. We don't have to do anything. We're just coming with Jesus to set up his millennial reign and be invited to that thousand-year millennial reign or he's going to snuff out evil for a thousand years. We can go on and on about Bible prophecy another time, though. But he is talking here about his second coming. And as magnificent and amazing as heaven is, the Bible describes a little bit what John, I don't think John was given everything about heaven. There were things that Paul seen, in he talked about being caught up to third heaven, that God said, don't utter a word about it. Don't write any of it down. Because I don't, as Gary has said before, it is so magnificent. Heaven is so amazing as it describes your streets of gold, pearly gates, the presence of angels will be with. We can't imagine the with our finite minds how amazing heaven is. But don't forget the point. Even as amazing as heaven is, the greatest reason we want to get to heaven is because of who? Jesus Christ. We have our family we want to reunite with, but I want to be in heaven because I want to be face-to-face -face with the Savior, the one who brought me to my knees through the Holy Spirit and gave me a chance at eternal life. That's who we want to be with. Heaven is not heaven without Jesus. If he ain't there, it's going to be a dull place. Jesus is the reason heaven is why it is heaven. Now, what do these things mean to us? What do these three verses mean to us? Quickly here, Gary gave a short explanation. It wasn't like the rest of y'all. This was different, okay? So I'm going to tie... <laughs> He shouldn't laugh back here like that. Anyway, he gave a short explanation of why these are his favorite Bible verses. I think he took some time and put a lot of thought into this. He said these verses, basically, he put total T, T as in title, okay? Total T. He said, these verses are full of trust. They're full of truth, and they are full of thought. We ought to trust these verses because Jesus said it himself. They're full of truth because God cannot lie and they're full of thought because the thought I told you of thereafter, whenever Jesus comes to take us back to be where we are final destination, well, not the final destination, but the third heaven until one day we are brought into the new heaven, new earth. A lot of thought put into that what it is to be. Now, what do these passages of scripture mean to us? When our hearts and our minds, they're confused, we're full of anxiety, Jesus encourages us to put absolute belief and trust in him. But there are three promises within these verses. 
that give us meaning and purpose to our life right now. I call them the three P's promise. The three P's promise of John chapter 14, verses one through three. Write these down. These are important. Number one, these verses teach that we have in all caps here, peace. I mentioned earlier, we have peace through faith. We have peace through faith. What did he say in the first verse of John 14? Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. At this verse, do you realize Jesus at that moment was making himself equal with God? Somebody might say, how can he do that? He had every right to. He is equal with God. But because of the responsibilities he will be taking on this earth, he willfully submitted his will to his father's will. Didn't make him any less important, any less significant, or any less um, authoritative or powerful as God. They are equal. He was saying, but you can have peace through faith. He, want, he was implying, if anyone has believed in God, I want you to believe in me as well. Don't forget about me. I'm just as authoritative as my father. He isn't suggesting that we should have two faiths to believe in God and doubt what Jesus said. Oh, no, it's a level playing field, as I said here. He is telling us to have a complete faith, not that half faith, okay? Now, to the basis of our faith, basically, to those who say to Jesus, why should we believe in you, Jesus? Well, this first verse doesn't really give us the implication that he's equal the uh, other than he other any other answer that but yet he is equal with God. But if you read down a few verses of verse eleven, look at what Jesus said in John fourteen eleven. Believe me that I am in the Father, and in the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. The miracles that all the miracles that Jesus performed proved that he is God's Son and he is worthy of our faith and our trust. That's what it is. The result of uh, believing in Jesus is peace. I mentioned those verses earlier, peace. We can have that peace through faith. Faith. Our hearts are no longer troubled, nor can, or will they be uh, any longer anxious. We have, we have sorrows. We have uncertainties of life, I mentioned. But we can also have that compassion and power of Jesus to help us through and knowing he gives us peace and he gives us hope and he gives us that strength that we need. What did he say in Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29? He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. And what he said, I'll do, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We can, we can have peace through faith. The second P, you can have a place in heaven. There's the second P. You have a place in heaven. Christ's promise reaches far beyond this life and into eternity, okay? He assures us that he has left this earth in his Father's house to prepare a place for us. He says, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. That wondrous promise gives out so much meaning, doesn't it? Instead of viewing this life as people think, well, I've got a few decades, I'm going to work, i got a few de decades to enjoy my life after retirement, and after that, that's it. It's all over. Oh, no, 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 it is not. And then we die forever. 
you know, what a, what a way to live. If they can, after you take your last breath, that's all there is. There's nothing, there'll be nothing to look forward to. You would be on the decline all the time, knowing at some point you're going to die and everything you did was completely worthless at all. But no, Jesus had a much different plan. When we're a child of God, what we do for kingdom's work will have lasting, eternal benefits and rewards. We understand though this life is short. It has all kinds of difficult journeys to an eternal home where we can accomplish everything. Once we get into heaven, there's everything there to accomplish for our work for God and that we will never die. What did Jesus say to Martha in John eleven twenty five? 25? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And of course, we know John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomever shall believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. To know that there is a place for us in God's own eternal home, well, that's enough for me. I don't know about you. That's enough for me to keep me fulfilled and have that peace, to know there is a place after we leave this earth in our physical bodies. And number three, we have a promise of Christ's return. To believe in this promise is a there's a place in our Father's house. It helps us to know how we're going to get there safely one day. We know Christ is coming back again. Jesus assures us that he himself will personally return. It's not going to be God the Father. The Holy Spirit's already here at the second coming. It is Christ's return to reclaim what is rightfully his, to gather us up to him and escort us to that new home. What did he say in verse 3? Since I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you will be also. Jesus says that nobody, though, can come to the Father except through him. This is a very profound verse, a lot a controversial verse that many churches are going against today. If Jesus didn't mean it, he wouldn't have said it. What did he say in verse 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Pretty cut and dry. You want to get to heaven? Go through Jesus to get to the Father. There's no other way. As I said before, the greatest argument, if there is more than one way to get to heaven, then why in the world did Jesus die for a life? Why did he have to go to the cross to die a horrific, crucial death, to suffer and agonize for the sins of the world if later on he knew there was another way to get to heaven? It, ain't, it didn't happen that way because Jesus knew there was only one way to get to the Father. Unless we are in that blessed gathering that Jesus himself escorts us to heaven on that day, we'll have no other way of getting there. There is only one way to get there to, to the Father's house. And in just a moment, I'll give that invitation to anyone out there who might be listening. There is the one way to get there, and I'll tell you how you can do that in just a few moments. But in closing, evangelist uh, Bruce Howell tells a story, and this about brought tears to my eyes when I read this. He tells a story of a father and his son and daughter who were eight and ten years old. They were on vacation, and they were swimming at the Atlantic Ocean off the coast of a town, particular town in New Jersey several years earlier. He said they were all great swimmers. He tells the story. The father does. They were out swimming, and then next thing you know, the tide picked up and started to separate them. The daughter was getting cast out further 
and murder into the sea. Becoming panicked, the father realizes, son, we need to get to shore. We can't get to her. The tide is too strong. She's still a good swimmer. I see you're a good ways off. Let's get to shore and get help so we can go get our, get your sister and bring her back safely. As they're heading back, he hollers at his daughter, turn over on your back. You can float. I'm coming back to you, he said. Her name was Mary. She said, I'm going to go get help. If you get tired, he said, turn on your back, float on your back all day. I'm coming back to you. He and the boy made it to shore and they finally got a hold of somebody with a boat um, Coast Guard, and they went, and after four hours, four hours, they finally found the girl, found her far out in the sea. She was calmly oh, swimming on her back without a fright in the world. They brought her back to shore. Great relief, he says, was upon the family as they found, brought the calm girl back to shore. Everyone wondered how in the world could she could be so calm. She said, Daddy said he would come for me and that I could float all day long. I believe what my daddy said. I will come back for you, he said. That's what Jesus says to every one of us. He will always come for us. He will always be there. For I, he said, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will come again to bring you into myself to where I am, there you will be also. What a wonderful verse. Praise God. He's coming back for us one day. Let's bow together in prayer. We told you just a few moments ago towards the end of this sermon that I would give an opportunity, an opportunity for someone out there if you're listening and you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. The unfortunate sad news, at this moment, right at this moment, if he were to come back today, he's not coming for you. You would be left behind. It's what we call the church, New Testament church believes as the rapture. That's not what this message was about. It's much more than that. His second coming. But we're not gonna get into all that. If you're listening and you don't, you don't may not know much about the Bible, Bible prophecy, You'll learn all that if you'll make this decision today. But right now, we're talking about your eternity. We're talking about the moment you take your last breath. Wouldn't you want to know that within five seconds of taking your last breath, that you open your eyes and you're in the presence of Jesus Christ himself, the one who died for you and your sins. You can make all that happen right now. God's Holy Spirit is working on you. And you'll know it, trust me. It's everyone sitting here this morning, is, all Christians out there have had that moment when the Holy Spirit was telling you, it's time. It's time for you to repent, confess your sins, admit you're a sinner, give your life, give your sins to Jesus so he'll cover them in that precious blood that he shed once and once for all. And trust in him and him alone as your savior for the forgiveness of your sins. If God's Holy Spirit is working on you, what do I do, Brother Stephen? Well, you right now, silently in your heart or out loud with me, you can say this simple prayer of faith with me right now, knowing that God is listening and He is listening and He is waiting with open arms to receive you as one of His children. Won't you say this simple prayer of faith with me right now? 
Dear God, I thank you for loving me. And I know and understand that I'm a sinner. And God, I am truly sorry for all of those sins in my life. But I believe what I heard today, that you love me so much that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Jesus, who took the punishment for my sin on that old rugged cross. And I'm trusting in what Christ and Christ alone did to save me from my sins. Thank you for loving me, God, and thank you for forgiving me. And I'm praying right now that you will help me spend the rest of my life serving you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer and you really meant it with all of your heart, you are now a child of God. This verse will pertain to you. He will come again to receive you into himself, that where he is, there you will be also. And if you prayed that prayer and you really meant it, you made that decision for Jesus, we would love to hear from you here at Pleasant View Baptist Church. We want you to take that next step of faith and we want you to contact us. Let us know, Brother Stephen, I prayed the prayer of faith. The website for that is at the bottom of your screen. You'll see it as I give it out. It is pbmb.me forward slash contact. Go to that website, put it in. Go to that website. It will send you to our contact page where you put in all of your contact information there. Let us know you prayed that prayer of faith and we want to give you some free material here at Pleasant View Baptist. A Gideon's Bible. We want to give you some pamphlets, information, about four different pamphlets of free material to tell you what it is to be a Christian now, what to expect in your Christian walk, and how to prepare yourselves for the storms of life, things that will, not if, but when they come into your life, how to handle them, and how important it is to stay rooted in God's Word. We want to send you those free materials, but if you'll do so, and go to that page, we'll send you that free material, and we also want to invite you here this church at Pleasant View Baptist Church. We welcome anyone and everyone who loves Jesus. It doesn't make any difference. We welcome you here. There's plenty of room here at this little church out in the country. Make sure though, the very first thing you do is, it's so important, give a personal testimony. Many times giving a testimony, telling others about what Jesus just did for you, you are planting that seed. You're doing God's work by doing that, but also, give a testimony, you're planting that seed and you're watering it down, as we say, so that the Holy Spirit can come in whenever the Holy Spirit is ready to do the rest. It's not your job to save people. It's not my job. It's not anyone else's job. I can't do it anyway to save people. Only Jesus through the Holy Spirit alone can save people. But give that testimony about the life that you were living and what Jesus did for you and what is promised. This great promise from John chapter 14 that there is a permanent place one day for Christians. This world is not our home. We are just a passing through. There is a permanent dwelling place for us one day, the Bible teaches. Also, give a testimony, but don't stop there. Make sure, as I mentioned a moment ago, get into a Bible-believing church that teaches the whole counsel of God's Word from Genesis to the maps. They don't cherry-pick Scripture to uh, for... Uh, Political correctness, we don't teach that here at all. All political correctness does is destroy things. It is just tainted with sin, and it gets people off the track of Jesus Christ. We don't teach political correctness here. We teach the whole counsel of God's Word, and we teach about sin. Sin is not politically correct to talk about, 
But we're going to talk about it here because every one of us, we're sinners. The only difference is we're still sinners. We're still in these fleshly bodies. But we've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Our sins are atoned for. They are covered for. So when God looks down upon each one of us individually, He doesn't see our sins anymore. He sees the blood of Jesus. When He died on the cross, He covered us with those sins. Get into that Bible-believing church that teaches the whole counsel of God's Word, just like this church, Pleasant View Missionary Baptist. Our information is on our Facebook page or on our website. That is pvbaptistchurch.org, where we have all kinds of great sermons on there. Our statement of faith is on there. More information about our, our event coming up here in a couple of weeks is on there. Check us out, a five-star rated uh, website for a little church like this. Bigger churches would just love to have this website, this kind of uh, uh, technique, everything Daniel set up, but they can't have it, okay? Because it's ours. Daniel set it up by the grace of God, the great talent he gave him. Check us out. If you can't get into this church, get into another Bible-believing church that teaches the whole counsel of God's Word. Father in heaven, I pray to you this morning that anyone who may have, who may have listened to this invitation to salvation or any other great teacher of faith out there who put out that great call of invitation to salvation, I pray that none of them would resist that call and say no to the devil and yes to you, God. I pray they would make that decision today to serve Christ and Christ alone. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.